All right, a key idea for revolutions part two to think about is was the French Revolution so extreme in its violence that it might have led to its ultimate collapse and the acceptance of someone like Napoleon? Could things have been different? Could there have been some changes in there? And then did this also influence those Latin American revolutions that happened after the French Revolution because they saw the effects of it? Just things to think about during Revolutions Part 2. All right, the French Revolution was directly inspired by the American Revolution. Difference is the French Revolution is going to be extremely bloody and longer than the American Revolution and will basically not accomplish as much. But let's go ahead and get started. Once again, this is to sort of introduce to you the little bit. You make sure you check the notes and go to the videos and see what's going on. This is a two-part video. All right, French Revolution, inspired by the American Revolution. Uh, the French helped us gain our freedom. Um, and the British people, who are sort of their mortal enemy, their antagonists, had freedoms from the Glorious Revolution, so why not us? Marquis de Lafayette had helped George Washington, if you remember from last time, uh, to train the American army. He uh, kind of brought back some of those ideas. Uh, interesting side fact, his real name was Marie Joseph Paul Yves Roche Gobert de Montier, Marquis de Lafayette. Um, France had a king and what's called an estates general. These estates general are uh, like the Congress. Only there would be three of them. And herein lies the problem. The estates general was first estate, was the wealthy clergyman. They made up a small percentage of the uh, population. They are Catholic. The second estate were the nobles. Also a small percentage of the actual French population. And the third estate was the rest of the people, 98% of the French population. And each one of these estates had one vote. This would be saying that three people each get one vote. That's fine. But that third person is actually like the rest of the school. So your teacher gets a vote. Okay. Your principal gets a vote. And then all of the students get one vote. Do you think the students' voices and needs would be heard? No. So could you imagine when taxes come along? The first estate and the second estate are not going to tax themselves. So where did all the taxes pass on to? 98%. The third estate, the common people who were already drastically poor. This was shocking, especially after what we would call the Enlightenment with all those Enlightenment thinkers we had previously talked about. I told you we'd keep bringing them up during the age of revolution. Uh, do you have that right? Uh, do we have the right of life, liberty, and property? Do we have the right to remove an unjust king? Do we have a voice in our government? This is where the trouble started brewing. Now, the videos will go in much greater detail. This once again to kind of preface. The third estate met in a nearby tennis court to demand change. you got to remember these estates generals didn't meet very often, but King Louis XVI the French kings are much easier than many of the others because they start with King Louis I and go all the way up. 
Anyway, they were not allowed to meet because of the large numbers inside the main uh, parliament. So they met in a tennis court to to demand change. This is called the tennis court oath that you'll see in that video. King Louis the Sixteenth said he would divide the votes more evenly, but right now just vote because I need taxes. Yeah, France was in a little bit of a uh, financial crisis. Because of all these uh, uh, large numbers of people, he amassed the troops nearby, which once again scared the people. And you can imagine how rumors started. So if you met somewhere and then all of a sudden the army was amassing in the next two, three blocks over, you'd be scared. You would start saying, we need protection. They're out to kill us. So this is when basically people started rioting. They started uh, inspiring each other with, you know, they're going, we need weapons now. Well, the only thing the places they could think of to get weapons were like prisons and military stockpiles. So when the riot broke out, they stormed a place, a notorious prison called the Bastille. They hated the Bastille. It was, had a terrible reputation. This is the actual beginning of the French Revolution. They, the, the crowd was so angry. They stormed the Bastille, and then one of the guards shot at them, and this just enraged the crowd. They literally knocked in the doors, and they started tearing down the walls, these huge stone walls with their bare hands. This was the hatred. They freed all the prisoners there. I think there was only seven there that day. <laughs> just luck of the draw. But this is the beginning. This is where the mass people started saying, well, the rich, they're hiding food. The rich, they're doing this. So the nobles started fleeing the country. So King Louis the Sixteenth, with having the nobles fleeing and the riots of the mobs, basically in 1789, they wrote the Declaration of the Rights of Man, which is the basis of, uh, based on our Declaration of Rights, based on the Bill of Rights in, in Britain and the Declaration of Independence in America. It's a combination of. The rest of Europe is scared. Well, why? Because a king being overthrown by the masses? Well, if it could happen there, it could happen here. And heaven forbid we have the masses rise up. So many of the other monarchs throughout the the land of Europe sent troops to France. Well, if you have foreign troops coming in, who do you think asked for the troops? They blamed King for asking for help, though he did not or may not have. Revolutionaries accused them. So doesn't really matter. Long story short, once again, the video where he tried to escape and flee because he had married an, an Austrian princess, Marie Antoinette, who was hated for her extravagant spending. That's also in the video with all the dresses and the hair uh, salon makeups and stuff like that. Uh, they captured the king. Uh, they almost made it to the Austrian border and they killed the king and queen eventually. They will. Uh, behead them because the French came up with a brand new way of killing people. It was called the guillotine, which is a much more uh, humane way of removing the head. And if you remember this from the class, okay, the reign of terror is when you'll have off with their heads. You would guillotine more people, more and more people, especially if you don't think they were revolutionary enough, if you don't think they were uh, French enough, if they were did not weep enough at a funeral for the right people, you would say they're a rebel. This is going to be a massive amount of killings and distrust. This is going to be people that in the, in the films, you're going to see the Jacobins. You're going to talk about how people, this, this reign of terror, it was a, a, where do you stop? Matter of fact, the very people who started the reign of terror will be beheaded for not being revolutionary enough because where does it stop? Well, after a while, people get tired of all the blood killings. They said the streets ran red with blood. 
the the powers that be asked a young military captain, Napoleon Bonaparte, if he would uh, help control the French, help control Paris. And he basically was an artillery captain, and he opened fire on his own people. He maintained parts. And we'll get to a little bit more about Napoleon after a little bit. But this is this is a very brief part for the entire French Revolution. Now, when you watch the two-part films, they'll have a lot more. And, of course, the notes are quite lengthy where you can then correlate the two. And then we talk about a little bit more of this in class. The next part of this will be when Napoleon takes over power. Well, with Napoleon officially taking over, this is the end of the French Revolution. But you remember, it was the... Uh, uh, five members of the directorate, the number of presidents of France at one time at the end of the revolution that asked Napoleon, this young artillery captain, to help maintain and stop all of the bloodshed. And he did. But the thing is, though, he also took power for himself. Now, the, the notes in the videos we watched will go into much greater detail about how Napoleon was sent to Egypt. He got trapped. Uh, uh, he basically abandoned his troops that were there because he was well-liked by his troops. And now he came back to France. He became the first consul of three consuls. And all of this will be explained, but it's not too important here in seventh grade that you know exactly all the major detail of this is realize Napoleon won many, many battles, which included uh, defending France against all the other European nobles that were sending in, or uh, monarchs who were sending in troops to help protect Louis XVI before he was executed. But one of the things, you know, he did when he got into power was he came up with a thing called Napoleonic Code. <clears throat> Napoleonic Code was these, these laws now, and a lot of them were very, uh, enlightened from the enlightened thinking no longer were you um, a person of wealth and simply became an officer you now were promoted within the military based on your abilities which is is the basic of of democracy that we are thinking of the you are not who your dad was but what you are and and this is why when he started spreading his code throughout all of Europe, and on the blog spot, you will see in the notes the maps of how uh, Napoleon's empire spread throughout, that when he set up these policies, many of the French nobles that, uh, that had fled France came back, and then he started spreading this whole thing throughout Europe. So a lot of the upper class was like, realize you better get on board or you will be basically wiped out. Another part of Napoleon's code is everyone, everyone paid taxes. This got him to be liked by many of the people. And since he was pretty much winning every battle he came in contact with, uh, this made France uh, become a world power. In fact, not to get into too much about Napole Napoleon's military career, but uh, 
His first major defeat is when he was in Russia. Once again, he kind of misjudged the, the Russian winter and it really took havoc on his troops. They died by the thousands from uh, starvation, hypothermia, and etc. This is when he was, uh, uh, this was actually a combined of like Prussia, Sweden, Spain, Great Britain, all against Napoleon, okay? Now, this won't be the first time. There will be several councils and there will be several uh, coalitions that fight against Napoleon. Once again, your videos will cover in greater detail. This is just sort of to help clarify. Uh, he basically will be defeated. He will abdicate, which means he gives up his throne. He will be sent to Elba in prison. But uh, he manages to escape. He gets an army together because, once again, he's still well-liked by the common people. And he basically goes on his uh, rampage throughout, uh, trying to regain his, his empire again. It won't be until the Battle of Waterloo, okay, which is another coalition of, of five or six other countries, despite Britain thinking they did it all themselves, that <clears throat> Napoleon will finally be defeated. This is where he will be sent to a, another island prison, only this one sent much, much further out uh, in, in the ocean. Okay, This one is uh, St. Helena. Okay, and once again, it was like this, I think, I believe was the seventh coalition. And it took them a little over 100 days to defeat Napoleon, telling how good of a uh, military leader he was. So this is, is pretty impressive. This is also why many people are, are studying Napoleon and his tactics and etc. Anyway, this is where he will die in St. Helena. He died like May in 1821 CE. And, and this is part of the French history. This is the weather like or dislike. This is also part of Austria and throughout Europe. I mean, once again, this brings back to where you have, uh, they bring back the king. The next 55 years is like a revolution. Then you have your second republic. You have your second empire, your third republic, your fourth republic. That's after World War II. Then you have your fifth republic. These these never questions never seem to be settled of who's in power and, and we have changes within. But I do want you to realize, for the sake of the French Revolution, it ends with Napoleon. And Napoleon tried to establish many of the Enlightenment thinkers' ideas that had come from France. Though it started with the Glorious Revolution, the British, and then the British colonists of America taking hold and taking to the next level, and then spreading to France. Now, once again, if any of these revolutions had failed at any time, the next one would probably have been discouraged. The success of the French Revolution is going to lead to many revolutions within Latin America. And that will be our next topic on the age of revolutions. All right, last time we ended with Napoleon and the end of the French Revolution and his ideals of Napoleonic code. Well, this is going to spread now. I'm going to move rather fast. But once again, there's a whole lot of, of events throughout history, and I can't cover it all within the allotted time. So I'll move rather quickly, but this is all in the notes in Google, and there will be several uh, things we will look up on the web to find out who these people are. All right, so let's start with Latin America. 
1500 to 1800, basically the Spanish controlled everything in Latin America, okay? And they're the ones that we talked about during the Age of Exploration that brought in slaves from Africa when they were, the Indians died from smallpox and measles and diseases or outright just killing. Uh, they basically used the new world, world as a resource colony. This is take resources, gold, silver, whatever, bring them back to your European homeland and then use it to gain wealth or whatever. Spain does not allow the colonies to industrialize. This sets up a very elaborate caste system with, you know, we're talking about Creoles. These are people that are of Spanish blood that are raised in America. So you have those that are pure Spanish blood and plan to go back. They are at the top. Spanish blood that raised in America were Creoles. You got the, these are the ones who are going to lead the revolution, ironically, because they have never been to Spain to have loyalty to the, the king. You got mezzatizos, excuse me if I mispronounce that, were the children of either natives and Spanish. But now it all depends on your hierarchy of whether your mother was Spanish or your father was Spanish. Then there was rankings of you were uh, of whether you were of African slave and mixture, or if you were of Native American and mixture or pure blood. And there, there was like seventeen different levels, and there will be a picture of this within the websites. Anyway, they were also inspired by this American independence that was north of them. They saw, well, you can overthrow these European powers. There is a chance. And this is where the ideas come from. Not to mention Spain had become incredibly weak over time. Okay, After defeat from the British, the French, they're pretty much a lesser power now. So let's start with the first revolution. I'll start in Haiti. In 1791, you had a former slave. It was Toussaint L'Ouverture. He was a leader against the French rule, and he was a slave until he was 50 years old. But now you got to remember the French and the British had freed their slaves. So in 1801, you're talking about the French freed all their slaves, and he became the governor of Haiti. Now, he died two years later in 1803, but he had started something bigger than himself. And this is where they start to rise up against the French rule. And except, but by this time you have people that are with the French revolution, et cetera, that are too busy trying to solve what's going on in Europe with all the wars and the conquests and et cetera. So they don't have time to worry about a small Island here or there. And they basically, there is some fighting, but not a large bloodshed. And you will see the picture of Toussaint L'Ouverture. <clears throat> this also then moves on to places like Mexico, where you'll have a person called Miguel Hidalgo and Jose Morales, who led the revolt in Mexico. Now, both of these men were Catholic priests, and both of these men were killed during the struggle. Okay, so you're talking around 1821 was the year of independence. I think it was September 16th, if you look at the notes that are in the Google Classroom. Uh, matter of fact, Miguel Hidalgo started it because he said they were uh, the, the locals were being treated poorly. He's the one who rang the church bell to start the revolution, and he was shot almost immediately. Now, Jose Morales will be a little bit more of a combatant and survived a little bit longer, but once again, he will be killed throughout the revolt. Once again, pictures of these individuals and a few more uh, videos will be linked in the classroom. Uh, another one is Venezuela. For simple reason, we can't cover them all. I'm just picking certain ones. Simon Bolivar, he was also known as the Liberator. He was, uh, his parents were 
wealthy Spanish citizens. They were pure-blood Spanish. But he spent all his money supporting the revolution. Once again, he was one of those that had never been to Spain. He spent his whole life in in uh, South America. But why he is called the liberator, because he liberated Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, Panama, Peru. And in fact, he was so uh, prolific in his liberation and spreading ideas. In 1825, Upper Peru became Bolivia in honor of Simón Bolivar. And maybe some of you even covered this with in Spanish class when you're talking about the countries uh, and the capitals and famous people. In Chile, you had a man named Bernardo Higgins, an Irishman, definitely not Spanish, that basically he inspired the independence from Spain in 1818. Now, he will become a dictator and his people rose up against him because once again, the ideals of, well, if we overthrow the king, but we get a dictator, is that any better? So they overthrew the dictator. And he went into exile, which means you're thrown out of your country in 1823. Now, he still, again, his picture will be in on the Google Classroom. Um, in Brazil will be the last one I sort of cover for the Latin American revolutions. And I know, once again, this is moving quickly and there is much more detail in the readings provided. Brazil, you have Dom Pedro, who was a uh, was Portuguese and born in Rio. So his parents were of Portuguese. This is why they don't speak Spanish in Brazil. They speak Portuguese, or a mixture of it, depending on where you are. This was also a bloodless revolution. So we started the revolutions in England, being bloodless, but the glorious. And we're going to end all the revolutions with Brazil being a bloodless revolution. Once again, those Enlightenment thinkers, how far do you go? Do you try peaceful means first, or do you try violent means? But basically, in 1822, he declared Brazil independent, and Portugal was in no uh, financial situation or military situation to, uh, to try to fight this. They basically said, yes, go ahead, and he became Pedro I. Once again, you can look at pictures and read his small story on the links we have provided in the blog spot. So once again, I know this moves quickly, but if you have any questions, feel free to research them within the links that I provided for the readings.